I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as slashers, driller killers, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. Holy shit, we're back. New year, new episode. New location. New location, I forgot. It's all new. We're in Josh's studio, actually, at his house. We moved to the place that we probably should have been the whole time. And uh, it kind of feels like the the first episode all over again, because we haven't recorded since November, right? I know, right? This time we, like, we chose to take a break. We weren't forced into taking a long right. stint off. And uh, it's pretty funny. By accident, we're covering... A slasher, we're doing the Slumber Party Massacre trilogy, and and slashers is where we started last January in year one, so it's just kind of like a funny happenstance. Yeah, I like the the serendipity of that. It was kind of interesting. I went back listening to like some other episodes and, and trying to reflect on the first year to see what I've learned. Definitely editing. My editing has just grown, I feel like, over the time. <laughs> but uh, we really got to harness this time thing down. Yeah, and I went back about three days ago and just listened to the first episode. And as far as reflecting goes, it's nice to hear that we've slowed the hell down because the first couple episodes is like got the jitters and it's like, let's get through it. Let's get through it. It's like, no, let's get through it. But I mean, it's just funny because like when I when I started writing this, when it was going to be just me, I was like, oh, we'll just do the whole slasher thing. And I mean, we covered what, like fucking 30 movies, I think. In the first three episodes. In the first, I think it was four. Okay, four episodes. And still bad. And then we were doing like eight movies an episode, I think. We were at least covering eight movies when we'd get together to record. And and then we're like, oh, we'll just make it four and this and that. But I don't know, as we've gotten more comfortable talking, we go into more detail and we, I don't know quite frankly, just bullshit more yeah. a little bit and, uh, and, and cover like the nuances of things in more detail. And I don't know. It just feels like if we try to do two or three movies an episode, hell, a franchise might take more episodes than they used to in the past, but I feel like it's just going to be better quality and quite frankly, not be a nightmare to edit. Yeah. There's that. Cause you know, we're excellent at getting every episode up on time every time. <laughs> oh, that's not true. <laughs> So it's been a break. There's some shit that I've watched that I want to go over, but is there anything that you've watched during the break? And I don't mean in review. I mean, just like we usually do bullshit and recent shit we've watched. The Outsider on HBO starting off pretty cool so far. Really, though, the coolest thing I saw in this break was that 1980s horror movie documentary In Search of Darkness. Have you seen it yet? Yes, we just watched it yesterday. It's like four and a half hours long of fucking awesomeness. Yeah, it is. If you've seen Never Sleep Again, this is like that, but almost all-encompassing from 1980 to 1989. Yeah, because they go year by year, talk about the the important horror movies. Honestly, just about everything, it feels like. And they have like directors, special effects people, actors, writers, just everybody in there. They have Corey Taylor from Slipknot. Yep. Like just anybody who's a horror fan, come the fuck down and let's talk about this stuff. And, and it is awesome because you guys know I'm, I'm really partial to 80s horror movies. And I realized watching this, we covered a crap ton of the movies in that in the first season. I know. I know. I was looking, though, uh, Scanners. I didn't think to cover that. Yeah. So that's on there. So that's going to have to go on the franchise list. And they covered the friggin' fly, which means that was horror enough for them. It was horror enough for the podcast. It wasn't too sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> There's just such a fine line across there. Oh. Well, I've got a couple on here that you've probably already seen. Um, and that's Mandy. The wife and I finally watched that. I wasn't a fan. 
I think it could have been much better if it was like a 45 minute long Black Mirror. Right. And it was too weird. It was like the first half's one movie and the second half's another movie. It's like, I'm watching Hellraiser 13 all of a sudden. What the fuck's going on? And honestly, I think I would have appreciated it more had I not seen greatest horror movie of all time over the internet regularly before I saw it. These youngins, damn it. They haven't <laughs> been around long enough to know what a goat is. Nicholas Cage is another weird new movie out that's supposed to be very heavily Lovecraftian. And I can't think of the name right now, but I'm actually kind of excited to see that one. Now, him going off into horror the way that he seems to be going, or off into crazy shit the way that he seems to be going, that I'm totally behind. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because for me, at least, ever since Ghost Rider, he's become a bit of a joke. I would much rather see him doing something zany because I buy I bought him. I bought yeah. his character in, in Mandy, just the, the movie as a whole. A weird one for me, Joker. I movie's amazing. That I don't care what in it isn't canonical because I'm sure a great deal of liberties were taken as far as the, the backstory goes. But just a standalone movie I thought was really good. The weird one. This is the wife's fault. Have you seen Don't Fuck With Cats? Not directly. I haven't watched it on Netflix yet, but I know of it. I know of this guy putting up videos of him fucking hurting and, and murdering animals before all that. I know about the person being murdered and the, the snuff video being on the internet. And I know about armchair detectives yeah. figuring out, I think via doorknob or something <laughs> in the scene to track it back down. <laughs> so I know, I know like just about everything about it without actually seeing it, but I still got to check it out. Yeah. It is brutal, but what's the word it's fascinating my wife likes to watch documentaries with me so she she's like on the edge if she can handle it or not so that's kind of been the hold off and we have to watch it while the kids aren't around so they don't straight up show anything but if you're an animal lover they show enough to friggin break your heart that part of it wasn't cool but seeing it go from beginning to end was cool i do have to bring up one correction for me from the very last episode the wood chipper movie the Christmas wood chipper movie that I talked about is called Silent Night. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I did talk to the wife about that and got corrected. And she brought up something that neither one of us thought of during Gremlins. Okay. You brought up they're drinking beer. Why aren't they multiplying? Beer's basically water. Right. But what about when they're all in the snow? Oh, yeah. I I think that was actually in my notes and I forgot to address that. That, just, that one really bothers me. But anyways, just had to bring that up. But uh, to get past... You know, we haven't hung out in a minute and got to talk about some crap we've watched recently like we usually do. Like you said, we're going to do Slumber Party Massacre Trilogy. Now, I've got it in my head that I remember watching this at your old house in the garage, like a birthday party night. We watched the second one at a birthday party. Was it just the second one? Okay. Because that's the one that, going back and rewatching these, this is that was the one that I'm like, I actually remember this one. And besides that, never went after these movies at all back in the day. Well, you saw the first one at least for the Slashers episodes last year when we started out. I didn't. Oh, it was on the list. I know. I didn't watch it. You cheated. I, I, There's a couple of them I didn't watch. <laughs> back then it was like, oh, I'm not covering this movie. I don't need to know about it. Gotcha. <laughs> That's when you were just going to do side commentary and I covered the movies, right? Exactly. See, here we are reflecting. After a year, we kind of know what the hell we're doing. And that's watch each other's movies so we know what the hell we're talking about. Speaking of reflecting, I did notice our usage of the F-bomb exponentially grew. I went back first year 2,714 times. Okay, I pulled that out of my ass. <laughs> okay. <but. laughs> no, I was just listening to the Gremlins episode, and I think in like one, I mean, I have no problem with cussing, but I could see how it could put some listeners off. But I noticed in the Gremlins episode in like one opening sentence, I think I F-bombed four times because I used it for every adjective. And I'm just, I think it's going to be my 
my podcast New Year's resolution is to uh, limit my F-bomb usage. Um, I will be your uh, your accountability buddy on that one. Because for me, it was going back to the end of one of the paranormal activity movies where I didn't have any other word to go for. And uh, it's a crutch. So, uh, yeah, man, I'll I'll be your accountability buddy on that. Okay, so Slumber Party Massacre came out in 1982. Same year we did. Yep. I think I've used that joke before, but it's a keeper. Every time. It was originally called Don't Open the Door because the screenplay was written by Rita Mae Brown, a feminist author. And she had written the script and somehow it ended up in a shelf at Roger Corman's studio. And Amy Holden Jones, who eventually went on to write movies like Mystic Pizza and The Getaway that I think we've even talked about on the podcast before. I remember the movie. But yes, she was an editor and she was wanting to try directing. And she, like so many other people, went to Roger Corman to try to get her toe on the door and like, hey, let me direct something. And she saw this script. It was called, like I said, Don't Open the Door. She read it. She took the first, I don't remember how many minutes of the movie, right? And realized that it had an action scene and it had a character piece and stuff like that. And she borrowed a camera from her buddy, Joe Dante, who also gave her background music from the Howling News free of charge. Go, Joe. And she spent $1,000 of her own money. And shot this little seven-minute opening thing of it and showed it to Roger. And he thought it was awesome and said, how much money did you spend? She's like, just a thousand bucks. He said, you got a career as a horror movie director. And she's like, yes, I get to direct a movie. And he's like, you're going to finish this one. (laughs) Which is not what she was expecting. Funny story, though. And if I covered this on Slashers 1, I'm sorry. But she was offered the job to edit E.T. Yeah. For Spielberg. And she was like, do I want to edit E.T. or try to be a director? I'm directing Slumber Party Massacre. Now, I got a question for you. When when he greenlit the rest of the movie, was there already TNA in the little bit that she did? Was that, did he just see the potential there? I noticed Amy Holden Jones in interviews said the screenplay needed some work. So it was adjusted. <laughs> I don't know what that means. We're going to get into some things on this movie. Couple of things. <laughs> and, and I don't know, that that part really sticks out strangely to me. I do want to say, I'm not going to go over all the cast members because these movies have lots of co-eds or high school kids or whatever at these slumber parties. A lot of these people never acted again or only did bit parts. You can see it on IMDb, right? Like we're not reinventing the well here. I I do want to say it's unfortunate Robin Still, who played Valerie in the movie. Yeah. who I guess essentially she's the final girl. There's more than one girl alive, but she she is in the end. Yeah. She unfortunately um, committed suicide in 96, so I felt like that was relevant to say, because that's unfortunate that happened to her. You know, she must have been depressed. Michael Valella, who played Russ Thorne of the Driller Killer, yeah, he really wasn't in a lot else, but I just thought it was really interesting. He was a method actor, and he modeled his movements after a peacock, because apparently method actors are taught to choose an animal. To inspire him. Find your power animal. I thought that was kind of weird uh, and interesting, but he also was obsessed with the drill on set and he would carry it around and basically like wax and oil it on set and not talk to the girls until after their character had died. So wait a minute. So are you telling me that peacocks put Vaseline on their junk? Apparently. (laughs) But I I thought that was worth mentioning. I mean, honestly, like I said, people were either random TV show episodes or like bit parts in movies. I think Coach Jana was on like all of Little House in the Prairie, which is not horror related, but I mean, at least she like, she did something. I did see the special effects. It says unaccredited Mark Showstrom. No shit. 
which he did a lot. Oh, yeah. And I mean, he did, was it Evil Dead 1 or 2? Two? 2. He did Evil Dead 2 and, and with K&B, but they weren't K&B yet. And, they learned uh, from him, yeah. right? So, Nightmare 2, all, all kinds of stuff. So I thought that was interesting, but I, I didn't catch his name on the credits. I don't know if that's like a rumor or maybe he was like, they didn't have the budget for him. So like he was kind of like overseeing it. Yeah. And I've seen that with some of them before. Well, and even specifically him where it's almost like they were hired as the, the go-to guy, but they couldn't actually hire him. You know what I mean? Yeah. The only other random interesting fact that I would like to say is the girls on the poster are not the girls in the movie, except for Jackie. She's on there, but that's like an ongoing theme throughout the movies that the driller killer is always standing over girls that aren't in the film. I don't know why, but it just works out that way. Maybe it's even cheaper. But if I'm going to keep to one of my podcast New Year's resolutions of keeping these episodes shorter, I probably should get into the movie. No, no. Okay, go ahead. So the movie starts off almost Spielberg-like with like a, a camera panning through like a 1980s suburb, clearly in California or something because there's palm trees everywhere. And we see a paper boy riding on his bike, chunking newspapers, and it zooms in on one of them and it says, Mass murderer of five, Russ Thorne, escapes. Dun, dun, dun. We have our setup, guys, and we're like 30 <laughs> seconds in the movie. It's quite impressive. We cut to a bedroom with a teenage girl who we find out later is Trish, awakening in bed, and she's getting dressed, and we're introduced to our first gratuitous nude scene, right? Like, just randomly, let's show some boobies while we change clothes. Yeah, that's still opening credits, isn't it? I think so. We see that she's gathering dolls and toys in her room and putting them into a, a paper bag. And in the background, we can hear the radio playing, and it cuts to a DJ talking about five people in Venice, California being murdered in 69 by Russ Thorne. Ah. So we see that Trisha's parents are going out of town and that the neighbor, Mr. Constant, will be home all weekend, and he's going to look in on her. Now, this is before, like, you had the apps with the map to make sure that neighbor wasn't a fucking sex offender. Correct, because this <laughs> motherfucker is a sex offender. You can just tell. <laughs> But as soon as her parents say that, he says, don't worry, I won't let the girls get into any trouble. Her mom says, make sure you lock the doors and the windows. And Trish gets a little pissy about it and says, I'm 18 now. I'm not a kid. Kind of makes the packing up the toys make sense now, right? I'm assuming she just turned 18. Yeah, she's not a girl, not yet a woman. (laughs) But they drive away and she trashes the bag of toys on the can at the curb and starts to walk down the sidewalk as... Her parents drive off and she starts singing, I wish that I had you all alone. (laughs) Not really, but as you watch this movie, you can tell that they like scene for scene. We're trying to copy John Carpenter's Halloween more than other slashers, I feel like. Yes. Even driving through town later in the car, I'm waiting for Don't Fear the Reaper to come on. Yeah. But as she's walking away, the key thing to take away here is a hand comes from off screen and grabs the Barbie doll out of the garbage can. Really doesn't make any sense to me. I'm going to be completely honest, but I'm going to come back to that. But we cut to the school and we see that there are two dudes talking about getting dates. They're obviously a little nerdy and their names are going to come into question later, I promise. But they spot a rather attractive phone repair woman up on a ladder and one of them starts to hit on her and try to get a date. He, what's he do? He helps her carry her ladder to the van, right? Yeah. And she's laughing. She thinks it's funny. And she's looking at them as they walk away and she's walking backwards towards her work van. And it pops open and she's yanked in and drilled in the head by Thorne or the driller killer. 
You think that was inspiration for Randy and Scream? I was literally going to make a joke about that. I was stuck between that or I've worked in low voltage for a long time and ain't none of my coworkers ever looked like her. <laughs> but honestly, though, it's almost I would have to go back and watch that Scream movie when, when Randy gets it. But I feel like the camera angles and yes. the way that he walked backwards, I feel like it was done the same way. Yeah, it felt very, very similar to that. Which would be cool if Craven took something from a uh, Slower Party Massacre. We know part two took something from him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But then we cut to uh, varsity basketball, which these girls are actually way into sports throughout the movie. If you notice that, they're constantly talking about it and stuff, right? Yeah. But the two birds from earlier are now joined by a third one, and they're watching our main cast play basketball. And there's a new girl named Valerie, and they're talking about how she's really good looking, and the other girls are mad because she's showing them up in basketball really bad. Then we get to, this is obviously a scene that I feel like Roger Corman had inserted in the film. Yeah. Where we cut straight to the showers. And we see our, our main cast in a very gratuitous shower scene while they're having a little bit of girl talk. You know, I think your tits are getting bigger. Mine? Seriously, though, it's so weird. The camera's like, let's zoom in on a nipple. Now let's pull out. Now let's spin around on their back. Let's pan down. Now let's zoom in on their butt and bring the hand in as they use the soap and clean everything out. And it, it just does this for each girl as they're talking. And it's like, just throw it in a, in a sex scene or something. There is, okay, I got to bring up trauma. Um, if you, you know, the little trauma snippets and they do the one and they're like, this is how morphine is done. And it's a girl and she just rubs pudding on her boobs and then her face changes. And it's like, <laughs> and that's how you do a morphine shot. Okay. If you're going to go that, like if trauma goes hardcore at it for no reason, like, and I'm sure like other movies have done this. Like if you had a conversation between two girls and the camera just goes back and forth between their boobs while they talk. Right. Like there's a setup for that, for it to be understood comedy. This doesn't work that way. This seems so out of place and unnecessary. This is actually a very serious slasher movie. Yeah. And, and it throws it. Even Linda in Halloween, I don't feel like was gratuitous. No. Because they just had sex. You only see him for a second. And she's doing the, can I get your ghost, Bob? You know, like, it's yeah. like funny and it's reference. It's not like, here, watch me as I check under it and <laughs> move it around. And I don't know. It's just kind of awkward. Yeah. That and that dialogue, man. It's so unnecessary. But. Whatever. And it's not like it got teenage boys to the... Th Anyways. I'm sure when I was a teenage boy, I probably liked the scene a whole lot. <laughs> like, man, you got to see this movie. I love Roger Corman. <laughs> but just after any good shower, you got to cut to the locker room, right? And we see the girls talking about their slumber party, which is what we're here to talk about is this massacre at this party. <laughs> and Trish, who's hosting the party, wants to invite the new girl, Valerie. But her friend Diane is, seems to really be jealous of her because she's like, bitching about this and that and complaining and she starts talking shit about the girl but the camera pans over to the other side of the lockers there's valerie getting dressed she can hear everything she's saying she gets upset and tries to run away crying as trish catches her on the way out and invites her and she turns her down now i'm being straight up serious about this i think trish wants in valerie's pants you think so yes okay i really felt like they were going that far with it I get that vibe from different girls in some of the movies. Well, not the third one. The third one has no vibes reminiscent to anything <laughs> that we're going to talk about over the next like 45 minutes yeah, or so. Forewarning, this is going to be like, I don't want to say like the Poltergeist trilogy episode, but oh. this is going to be very similar to the Reanimator trilogy episode. <laughs> I almost wonder if we should start being selective in some of these franchises that decides to have a lull for several years and then add a sequel that has nothing to do with the other ones. Yeah, no, unnecessary sequels. All sequels are unnecessary. You are correct, sir. <laughs> Take that, Disney. All your damn fucking Star Wars. Hey, I'm sorry. Never mind. I like Star Wars. <laughs> so I'll keep those. 
Okay. But then next we see the gang leaving school via the parking lot and Thorne is now sitting in the phone van and he sees all this and he's watching them and it cuts to a dumpster, I think, and we can see the telecom woman dead with the drill hole in her forehead, right? Yep. But we see one of the girls, Linda, could have been a Halloween inspiration, could have been a coincidence. <laughs> we see that she forgot her books, also kind of Halloween, and she has to run in the building to get them. And of course, she goes alone, and Russ watches this. As she goes in, she bumps into to Coach Jana, uh, who tells her to hurry up because they're going to start locking the door soon, which is a really weird way to lock people in a school five minutes after it gets out. I know, right? I guess it was basketball practice maybe after school. And they so, were the only ones there. Yeah. Okay. Now, think about it. That's actually not that awkward. Yep. But she tells her she'll hurry, and we see Coach Jana leaving, and I actually really like this shot. It's like a high shot, and she walks by the creepy rape van, <laughs> and Russ isn't in there anymore. So now yeah. we know he's gone. And she gets her books, and uh, so enough, every door is locked on campus. And she's like running hallway to hallway, and they're like chained and shit. I don't even know when they had time to do this. <laughs> and she can't get any of the doors open, and she's cornered by Thorne, and he gets her in the arm, I think, with the drill. I think so. The arm first. And a chase ensues. I don't know how she got away from him so so well. I also don't know how this drill works so well without power. But we're just going to ignore that. Yeah, that is definitely a corded fucking drill. I do like that he killed a telecom worker. So that's how he got tools. Yeah. Makes sense, right? Because they never said he was like a drill killer. At least they didn't do that weird thing. Yeah. But he's chasing her down and she gets away and she hides. And basically she, she hides in the concession stand, I think, under a table and she said in the interview, it was a really awkward scene because you had like a cameraman, a cinematographer, a director, there was two sound guys, the mics, they're all crammed in a concession stand. Hoping nobody farts. Hoping nobody <laughs> farts. But basically Russ can't find her and he's about to give up and her blood from her arm wound has ran under the door and he sees it and he just drills through and off screen kill. Linda's yep. out. We already lost one of the slumber party girls. She didn't even get to go to the party. She I got know, totally right? fucked. No weed, no pizza, no nothing. We get our normal like around town shots where we see uh, Trish get dropped off at her house and we see Diane walking home alone as she's old school slasher POV being stalked. <laughs> and, and the stalker sneaks up and grabs her and she straight up ninja throws his ass over her shoulder and lays him out. Yes. And it's her boyfriend, John Minor. I don't know if that's a relation to Steve Minor. Could be. Could oh, be. Oh, I didn't catch that one. They do that a lot. Actually, Trish's last name is Devereaux in this movie. But in two, they refer to her as Trish Bates, I think. No, no, no. The, the Valerie, or not Valerie. Um, No, it is Valerie. Valerie and Courtney are the Bates. But then the Devereaux, they refer to as the Cravens in the yeah, second Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. So they change, they retcon their names or whatever. So there could have been a little bit of that going on. I don't know. It's not the same directors through the yeah. trilogy, so. But we're trying to basically, I guess, see where most of our principal cast is. And we see that, I want to point this out. Coach Jana arrives at her home, right? And a drill bit comes out through the door and almost gets her in the face. So we get like our first fake out. And we see it's a contractor installing a peephole for her. Another female contractor. Another female. They did that on purpose. They gave women jobs that, you know, in the 80s were generally men. And yep. I guess probably to this day still is a lot of the time those manual labor jobs. Yeah. And obviously the women are tough. We've seen. Diane Ninja Chunk, her boyfriend, right? And stuff like that. So you could tell like the the feminist writer and the the female director coming in. Because honestly, I think this is the only horror trilogy made by all female directors. Yeah, and writers. That, yeah. that I know of, yeah. But I want to say, I, I was on cold medication when I watched this, but I rewound <laughs> it. She calls her Rachel. 
I don't remember. The con- the contractor does. But it's Coach Jana, so it's kind of weird. I, I could look and see if the actress's name is Rachel. Maybe they messed up. But she was actually one of the set workers. Oh, okay. And she actually built, built the set, so I thought it was kind of neat. But this is like the weirdest fake out. And I want to see, I'm curious if it's a continuity error from a change in the script, but she says, have you heard from the telephone repair person yet? And the contractor says, no, but they're white vans across the street, <laughs> which never comes back to pay off. So is it a fake yeah. out or a mistake? I don't know. But back at Trisha's house, we see she's on the phone with Diane and she's telling her she don't want her boyfriend to come. Cause there's a no boys rule. You know, she wants it to be like old times. Then she hears something. And she gets off the phone, and she gets up, and her front door's open. So she slams it, locks it, and somewhere in there she starts playing piano. I don't remember if it's after that, but we see that somebody else is in the house upstairs, and she runs for the door to get out, and we find out it's Mr. Constant, the creepy neighbor that's probably on a list that doesn't exist yet, was in the <laughs> house just checking on her because the door was open and waited that long to make himself known. Yeah, not creepy at all. He was waiting for the pillow fight. Probably. Not in this one, though. He, uh... <laughs> He decides he'll hang out with her to her friends, get there, because she's now properly creeped out. And I don't know how many people are paying attention to the news and the radio. Like, her parents, when they're like, make sure you lock the doors and windows, they might have known Russ was out. Yeah. I probably would have stayed in town. Yeah. At that point. And, and Mr. Constant could know that. They or, probably had, like, fog hat tickets that they like, really hard to get. And yeah. They needed to go. And it's really weird that Mr. Constant is this creepy, because it's not like it's a whodunit. We've already seen Russ with the drill. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just like, why? We're just like, oh, no. They're being chased by a murderer and a rapist. This sucks. But it, it does a lot of cutting back and forth. You see how it says Rachel's house and Rachel? Yeah. Because she had been called Rachel throughout the movie so far. Uh, Doesn't make any sense. We cut back to Coach Jana, though, and she's at home, and she hears somebody in her house now and checks the closet, and like an asshole, she's locked her cat in the closet, and that scares her, and we have yet another fake out. <laughs> the scene, I would normally would have skipped a scene like that because it's so unimportant, but, like, they just start overdoing it on the fake outs in the beginning of this movie. Yeah. We cut back to the streets because there's a lot of cuts here, and we see Beavis and Butthead walking down the street, <laughs> the, the two perv guys from the beginning, right? And like, we should, <laughs> and, like, we should scare the girls. And one of them's like, what's the worst thing that could happen? And the other one responds with, they could beat our ass again like that time in the gym. <laughs> but the important takeaway here is they walk past Russ's creepy rape van, right? So, like, he's in the area now. Yeah. But we get to Trisha's house, which is going to be the main set for the rest of the movie, because the slumber party's about to start, and the girls start to arrive. We're here for the orgy. You can see that Thorne is watching from the bushes, and I mean, he's standing next to the stoop in a three-foot gap in between the hedges <laughs> and the wall, looking at him walking to the door from six inches away. Nobody fucking notices him. And he's in that peacock stare, right? <laughs> but Mr. Constant doesn't care that they got booze and Maui Wowie, and he's going to head home, right? As long as they don't get too fucked up. And a lot of this movie is going to cut in between her house and Valerie's house, because we now know that Valerie lives next door. They refer to her as the next-door neighbor. Kind of looks across the street when they look out the window, but yeah. we're going to call it next door. <laughs> And, and it basically just cuts back and forth that the gang is, is bantering. Diane shows up late and Valerie's taking care of her sister who likes to talk shit and steal her Playgirl magazines with Sylvester Stallone on the cover. But the two pervs show up, sneak up the side door to the open window where the girls are just busting their boobs out everywhere and getting completely naked and dancing around. And the only thing missing here is a pillow fight. <laughs> we don't get the pillow fight. We we have to wait to the next have one. Have to wait to the next one. Now, I do want to point out here that when it got to this part, this is one of the many times I asked my wife, does this ever happen? She says it never happens this way. I just want to point that out. It's weird that 
a female-made movie is doing it from the point of view of inside the guy's mind. And I don't know if that's a writing and directing choice or if that's a Roger Corman choice. I'm going to go Corman. <laughs> I like, uh, what, what's the documentary called? Sleepless Nights? I think I so. Think all the directors, because like I said, all the directors and writers are female. And they're like, I never once had a naked pillow fight. <laughs> <laughs> but really nothing important happens in these scenes other than a lot of shit talking. They go by kind of fast. But Diane goes out to get some firewood and she's POV stalked again. Gets grossed out by a snail, and then a meat cleaver comes down and hacks the snail, and it's creepy Mr. Constant from next door. Another fake out. And they have this conversation about, like, snail hunting, and my dad snail hunts, too. And he's like, I got 53 so far. Yes. Who the fuck does this? Why is this a conversation? Oh, that is the worst pointless exposition ever in a film. <laughs> but there is some important takeaways here. She has an arm full of a bundle of wood. Yeah. And just walks in the garage to go in the house. Garage door's left open. True. And Mr. Constant sees snail number 54. And oh shit, he gets a drill to the throat and he's dead now. So we don't have creepy Mr. Constant anymore. <laughs> you know what we learned? You don't fuck with snails either. <laughs> right, right. It's karma. But somewhere, at some point, Trish looks out the window and she sees a dude peeking around a house very suspiciously. Like a peacock. <laughs> and to us, it's, it's Russ. We know, because we can see him. It's not... Not a silhouette, not a shadow. It's Russ. I'm never going to look at the NBC logo the same way again. Right, right. And their new streaming service coming out is called Peacock, by the way. (laughs) But she asked Diane if she closed the garage, and then they hear something outside. They look back out the window, and there's a bloody meat cleaver that we know belongs to Mr. Constant, but it's now stuck to the Barbie doll that was stolen at the beginning. I don't know if Mr. Constant or Russ took it. Who the hell knows? But they immediately think it's the boys, which I'm assuming it's Beavis and Butthead at this point, because I'm not sure if they have names yet. We'll get to that in a bit. (laughs) Diane and Trish go check out the garage, and they see that it is shut, but not locked. And Trish shows Diane how to lock it. However, she didn't shut it. Her arms were full. And then we start to see silhouettes in the garage. So there is a man in that garage. Yeah. Or a short-haired woman. But we're going to go with the dude. You sexist. The party officially starts. They're smoking their Maui Wowie. They're drinking their booze. They're eating their chips. And Diane sneaks off to go talk to her boo-boo on the phone while the group spies on her. And the power goes out. She's still on the phone because her amendment's being violated, right? But it's because back in the day, guys, the landline still worked without power. It yep. wasn't digital. It wasn't digital. The whole gang decides to go check the fuse box in the garage, and they see that a fuse is actually missing because it's those old, like, glass screwing ones like I had at my, uh, my first house. And the boys jump out and try to scare them, but one of them gets their ass kicked. I don't remember. Somebody hits them, throws them, lays them out. They don't have a good run scaring these girls. I don't know why they're trying. They do not. But from here on out, uh, it it cuts between Valerie and her sister Courtney hanging out a lot. And we see that Courtney likes to run away, hide, scare Valerie, rinse and repeat. And generally nothing happens, right? Like between all these cutaways. We're just trying to see normal stuff, I guess. Yeah. Unlike pillow fights which are not normal naked pillow fights but john minor diane's boyfriend shows up she lets him bring the car into the garage she forgets to lock it it's pretty apparent and they make up the car and he convinces her to leave so she goes and talks to the girls gets their permission she's gonna roll goes out to the car no keys they could have done all this luckily they only low-key did it (laughs) but she gets in there and goes to kiss her boyfriend and find that he's called a slight case of decapitation (laughs) So she's not getting laid tonight. <laughs> not by him. Drilly Killer's waiting outside. He's probably 
more than happy to oblige with that drill because he basically treats it like his penis and she tries to make a run for it and he corners her and we get the iconic shot of him standing over and you can see her in between his legs and the drill hanging down like it's his junk, right? And that's basically the, the poster scene, but the poster just had random girls in lingerie, but we get it with Diane in the movie and uh, he kills her. Nobody inside the house hears the commotion because she honked the horn. She screamed. There's a drill running for Christ's sake. <laughs> Courtney thinks she hears it next door, but Valerie just dismisses it. Yeah. But at this point, we're, we're quickly going into the, the end of the movie because we're getting to the third act, final act, whatever you're going to call it. And it, it pretty much goes fast from here. Yeah. But the girls call Coach Jana to ask about a play from a basketball game on TV because I think we're supposed to get that they're like really in a sports, right? And they ordered a pizza earlier, and they hear someone at the front door, and like, oh, it's the pizza guy. They open the door, and he's standing there with his eyes drilled out, and he falls in the living room, right? And I think it's the guys. They slam the door, lock it, drag the body in and everything to get it out of the way. That guy actually made, like, Android and a couple other horror movies. The oh, pizza guy. The pizza guy? Yeah. No shit. But Coach Jana can hear the screaming from when they saw the pizza guy dead. Uh, over the phone and she's trying to figure out what's going on but Trish just hangs up on her without telling her anything and calls 911 but Thorne cuts the exposed phone line from outside while peeking into the window and I think she got like the street number out but not the street name right yeah. so 911 has nothing to go on. Coach Jana calls Valerie because she lives next door and she's like, will you go check on him? And she's like, well, well maybe that's not a good idea. There's a killer on the list. Right? <laughs> and she's like, I'll just drive over. This is really the scene that looked like the, uh, the Halloween driving across Hattonfield scene to me. It really did. But the boys actually have a pretty good idea as far as slasher lackeys go. They're like, I'll go out the front door and run to Mr. Constant's house. And you go out the back door and run to Valerie's house. And he can only kill one of us. And <laughs> yeah. the other one can get there and call the police. That is actually a solid idea, especially for a slasher movie. That is logical thinking. And that's kind of brave for Beavis and Butthead to do. Well, because, hey, at least one of us might get laid. At this point, we hear some names. Jeff runs out the back door through the garage, and he finds Diane hanging from the rafters just like Bob in Halloween. Yep. And he takes a drill to the chest. Meanwhile, not Jeff (laughs) makes it to Valerie's house and is beating on the door, but she can't hear him over the TV because it's too loud. And the driller killer shows up, and he brought a kitchen knife with him, and he actually has a knife fight. With Russ, and he takes him down for a second. He loses the fight, though. And it's kind of pointless. They had Valerie kind of hear the noise and go check the front door and can't see him because they're behind the bushes. Yeah. He just left that. I don't know. I just felt like that was nonsense because, like, just keep the TV too up. But anyways, Thorne drags the body. I love this part. And he takes it to the trunk of John's car, and there's just bodies piled in like pretzels, right? And he goes to put it in there, <laughs> and he stops. He's like, one, two. <laughs> Three, four, and I think he says like uh oh or something because he's, he's missing a body at this point. Like I lose my keys sometimes. I've I've left my phone somewhere. He lost a corpse. <laughs> and and we see that Jeff's like dragging himself across the concrete by the pool, trying to make it to the house, bleeding out. But then we cut back inside the house and the girls decide to cover the pizza guy with a blanket so they don't have to look at him. And Kim says that he's for sure dead because he's cold. <laughs> And Jackie asks if the pizza is, and he's laying on top of the box, the dead guy, with blood all over it, and she slides the box out from under him and starts to eat the pizza. Well, life goes on after all, and eating makes me feel best when I feel bad, and boy, do I feel bad. That is my kind of woman. While they're going on, they can hear 
Jeff whimpering out back, but they don't know it's Jeff. It could be the killer, right? It could be the driller killer. Could be not Jeff. His name's Neil. They, they eventually <laughs> okay. say it once in there, but at, at some point in time, I'm like, what's his name? Holy fuck. Neil Pert died. Oh, I meant to bring that up. Yeah, the drummer of Rush died. Sorry, you said Neil and the brain immediately went to it. That was actually someone to bring up. That's tragic. He's a great drummer. Everybody in Rush probably sold their soul to the devil. They're all very talented musicians. But, but he, was the, he was the writer. He wrote the songs. He wrote the lyrics. Right. He lost his fucking wife and kid in a car wreck way back in the day or whatever it was. Didn't know that. but um, It may not have been a car wreck. But he, like, he lost his family and like went on a sabbatical and like wild shit we're getting old okay I know, I know. no no no. neil pert was getting old <laughs> anyways, anyways. We're, we're also musicians so like you know we look up to you know rush they're all very talented great albums but anyways valerie realizes that her sister went to the party because she's peeking out the windows wondering what's happening next door and she decides she has to go after her. Well, she's basically a step behind her, like a Looney Tunes cartoon the whole time, <laughs> and can't catch up to her at the house. And they both separately sneak around, knocking on windows and doors. And Thorne's watching from the bushes again. And for some reason, he doesn't attack him. I guess he's trying to keep it isolated. Maybe. But as Valerie's sneaking around, the girls can hear her inside. And Jackie's like, maybe we should let her in. And she gets up and runs to the door because the other girls are like, no, and opens it. And it's Russ at that point because she's still going around the house looking for her sister. And he yep. slits her throat with the drill, which I don't know the practicality of it, but it looked cool. And as she's dropping, Trish and Kim run upstairs and barricade themselves in a bedroom. I can attest to that practicality because he's using an auger bit. And an auger bit usually has a sharp screw tip on the very uh, end of it. Yeah. So I'm totally okay with that. Now, the fact that it, there's no way it has power, that's... Another issue. It looks like you would almost like hand crank it. You know what I mean? Well, I keep thinking about like in a murder party with the electric chainsaw. Like, yeah. is, is he plugging this shit in as he goes around and we just never get to see it? <laughs> they actually make a good joke of that coming up in this movie, though. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, of the power source. We'll get to that. Okay. But the girls, which is just Trish and Kim at this point, are, are sitting in the floor whispering about what to do. And we see the driller killer sneak through the window behind him and tippy toe up to him. Basically, it's to the point where you could just drill one of them right there, but the floorboard creaks. And I love this part because it's like they really slowly look up and just scream at them. And they take off and they're running around, like scattering around the room. And one of them gets a baseball bat because they're jocks, right? So she yep. gets her baseball bat and she clocks him in the back of the head. I would have kept swinging personally. That, they never do that in these fucking movies, man. <laughs> but she knocks him out and. He's bleeding a bit. She got a good hit, but they super barricaded this door, right? So they're trying to get the shit out of the way. Well, he grabs their kitchen knife they left on the floor, and he runs up and stabs Kim. Well, as he's stabbing Kim, Trish gets the door open and sneaks away and runs out downstairs. Later, Kim. During all this, Valerie finds Courtney, who was trying to scare, and they decide to go in the house. They're hanging out in the kitchen, and Courtney <laughs> wants a beer, and I love this scene. This great. I don't know how she got down here. This part doesn't make any sense. But Courtney's facing her sister Valerie and has the refrigerator behind her and her, her arms behind her. And she's like, just let me have a beer. And she like opens the door. And as she does, Kim's body falls out a little bit and they don't see it. And she closes the fridge. And this happens like two or three more times, right? Yeah. And the actress was like, thank God I was a gymnast because they crammed me in there like a pretzel and took the light bulb out. And I had to hold on to the socket and pull myself <laughs> in and out. <laughs> But they decide to leave the kitchen, and at that point, the weight makes the door fall open. Kim's body falls out. They now know that people are being murdered in this house. Shit just got real for them. Yeah, they scatter. They all hide. And at this point, we have Trish hiding in like one of those like zip-up suit bags in a closet. 
Valerie's hiding in the basement and Courtney is hiding under a couch that apparently has two foot clearance. <laughs> Thorne has one of the greatest slasher ideas of all time. Takes the blanket off the pizza guy, drags the body, throws it down the staircase, which Valerie can see, shuts the door, then goes back in the living room, grabs his drill, lays down on the floor and covers himself with the blanket. Now, Courtney sees this. Nobody else does, but they'll just think it's the dead pizza guy until he gets up, right? Yep. And at this point, Coach Janice shows up, sees the body under the blanket, decides to check on it, and Thorne comes out with his drill, and they have a fire poker versus drill fight, which is weird. <laughs> Trish sneaks out of the closet with her knife. Valerie grabs a buzzsaw, turns it on, goes running up the stairs, but it's got a wire plugged in the wall, and it stops her and unplugs and about yanks her down. It was very, like, evil daddish or something, right? It was, it was like, uh, oh, my God. Idle hands. Idle hands, yeah. And uh, keeps looking for new weapons, which she ends up settling on a machete, but we'll get to that. Jana actually somehow gets thorn on the ground. I don't, I don't remember exactly how. And beats his ass with the fire poker until Trish comes in and stabs him. Gets a good stab in on him. And instead of letting her continue to violently stab him to death, she decides to stop the teenager from stabbing. She says, no, 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 no. Stop it and pulls her away. And then she gets her fucking guts like just dripping out of her stomach because he slits her stomach open. Yep. And Thorne comes up to Trish with this dick. I mean, this drill, the way he's holding it. And he gives his only actual dialogue in the movie, which is how they're all so pretty and he loves them. And you have to love someone so much to do this to them. And then Valerie comes running out of the basement, but with a machete this time, doesn't need power. And Thorne runs the fuck away. <laughs> and he gets up by the pool and she comes out and she circumcises his drill by cutting the tip off of the machete. And slits his belly open and his hot dog weenies are falling out. That's what they use for guts. It's really <laughs> obvious it's hot dogs, though. And uh, he falls into the pool. And she makes a rookie mistake by dropping the machete on the ground. She should have decapitated him. Yes. This always works unless you want to count the fan fiction known as Halloween 8. <laughs> Already, man. First episode of the year. <laughs> there's only seven Halloween movies. I guess there's eight if we want to count 2018. Oh, God. But Courtney comes out, embraces her sister as Thorne comes out of the pool and he attacks him and they struggle and Trish distracts him and Valerie impels him with the machete. We hear sirens in the distance and the credits roll. Somewhere in there, his hand got cut off. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, that does happen. But it's around the pool scene. But that's it. That's Slumber Party Massacre. That's a, it's not a bad movie. It's just not a good movie. Honestly, if you look at when it came out in 82, I think it's actually a really good slasher movie. It was still early. I keep forgetting that it's that old. Yeah, it's not like an 86 or 88 movie. It's still pretty early. I mean, we've, we've had Friday the 13th part one probably at this point. Maybe it's the same year. We've yeah. had Halloween one and two. Yeah, and you can definitely see, like you pointed out, where it pulls from Halloween. So there hadn't been very many slasher movies. And it was actually a pretty serious movie for the most part, pretty well made for it being her first movie to direct. And honestly, it was done from that like thriller serial killer perspective more than a normal horror movie. He didn't have a mask. He yep. didn't have supernatural powers. It was just a, a, a murderer escaped from prison yep. and happened to find a drill. And that's what he used. A magical drill. And honestly, I was going to get to this later as we get to the third movie, but I'll just go ahead and dress it. They always make jokes about like horror movies, especially slasher movies, especially ones from the 80s, were just tits and ass everywhere and pillow fights. 
And I was like thinking most of the movies I watched, that doesn't happen in them. That actually wasn't a common occurrence other than like trauma movies and stuff. Yeah. And I really wonder if this trilogy or this duology, depending on how a lot of people look at it, <laughs> it is the reason why that was a stereotype. Well, it's like the thing we've talked about in the past when, and, oh man, you know them torture porn movies like Saul. The first Saul wasn't a torture porn no. movie. And yeah, you may be right. People may just think of that because even, you know, like you said, like trauma movies. But if you think about like, TNA movies from the 80s, I don't think about any horror movies. I think about like Porky's. Right, right, And stuff right. like that. Hard bodies. You know, there yeah. was that take your pick. There was plenty of them. And but honestly, yeah. the nudity in this movie, I mean, Roger Corman would have them go back in and, and add stuff, supposedly. And I could believe that. This guy really needed the internet. I mean, I, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But honestly, a lot of directors and writers did get their start from him and some actresses and stuff. So people were willing to put up with the shit because you could get famous for making a movie for Corman. Did he start off in porn too? Is this something we need to dig into? I don't know. <laughs> I do think uh, it's ironic. Remember he, in Scream 3, he's playing basically like a Harvey Weinstein like producer. Oh yeah. yeah he's in it himself. And, and I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's him. That's, that's him to the T. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cause he did. I mean, he did have like, uh, you're going to be naked. It's happening. Yeah. And that gets really bad especially when we get to the third one. Yeah. But before we get to part three, now that we've done a, a serious slasher movie, we're going to have to dive a bit in a horror comedy with the 1987 sequel slumber party massacre Two. Okay. So this one, I actually remember going back to watch it. And like you said, this was a, uh, Jesse teenage years, horror birthday party where we marathon VHS tapes. Most friggin' definitely. And I'll save my opinions for the end. It went under a working title of either Don't Let Go or Don't Let Go colon Slumber Party Massacre 2. And there's mixed things out there about basically them using a different title to secure marketing deals. Right. Which the first one made money. Yeah. I, I mean, if you look at it as a, your typical slasher movie, it was like less than half a million dollars and made over a million dollars or something like that. Actually, I think it, it did fairly well in the box office. I'd have to pull the numbers up, but I think it was a you know, for a slasher movie, it did pretty well. Yeah. So we get a second one. This one written and directed by Deborah Brock, who went on to do Rock and Roll High School forever. More <laughs> importantly, she did four episodes of VR Troopers. Yeah, I saw that. That's <laughs> pretty funny. I'm having a really hard time not singing the Don't Let Go song as this goes forward. It's playing in my head right now. Mine is Tokyo Convertible. Oh. But we've got Crystal Bernard as Courtney. Wings. Oh. You guys don't know Wings? Love Wings. I used to watch the show a lot, actually, in all seriousness. I watched a little bit of it, but that's the only person that went on to do great right. things. We had uh, Kimberly MacArthur as Amy. When it gets to the car scene, when the band's driving to the condo, right. I'm sitting there watching, I'm like, the girl driving. She's she's the hot one. Like they focus on these. She they got her all dressed down and stuff. What is it about her? And I googled her, and I'm like, Playboy model of the month, January 1982. Right, <laughs> like, right. It all makes so much sense now. And this was like her third or fourth movie. It was her fourth? This was her attempt at a serious movie because she wasn't going to show her boobs. Right, because they were they were meeting with the girls and like, hey, there's going to be some nudity in these movies. And she's like, I was naked in my last three movies. I'm getting away from this. I'm not naked in this one. <laughs> We've got uh, Juliet Cummings as Sheila, who was in Friday the 13th, part five. A few people actually in some of these movies were also in a, a Friday the 13th movie. Yep. Heidi Kozak as Sally, who went on to be in Friday the 13th, part seven. And of course, the driller killer, 
Atanas Illich, which I hope I said his name right, who went on to do not much in movies because he was only in three films. I think it's always like a CEO of like a giant company or something, which is really funny. I do know that, uh, I don't remember who it is, the producer maybe on the Sleepless Nights thing. He's like, oh, and he was actually a musician and had a band. I know because he kept giving me his demo tapes. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the thing. He was the very first guy that, that auditioned for the role. And they're like, well, we got to see other people. And it's like, we just got to go back to him. Like, he's he's it. Yeah, because the director, she's like, I'm not hiring the first guy I audition. And then after a while, she's like, we're going to have to hire the first guy that we audition. <laughs> Honestly, he's perfect. He is. I'm, I'll save it for the end. <laughs> she she said she wanted somebody bigger is how she pictured it. But no, you needed that guy with the pompadour and the fringe jacket <laughs> and the shiny boots. Honestly, it's like the man in black from Halloween boots. Got the little yeah. silver tips and stuff. But he's got some sweet moves, man. I'll get to that later. The uh, the only other neat production, pre-production shit I can bring up on here is this is another movie that was actually sold to the European market before it was ever even written. Right. Just so, off the title. Yeah. So similar to Evil Dead 2, only Evil Dead 2 was in the black during production, but at any rate. So we open with Courtney having a dream about some dude that, of course, we don't know it's Courtney yet, but we will, that immediately spins into a nightmare that's a flashback of some of the shit that went on in the previous movie right? intercut with other stuff, primarily a dead bird and the boots walking with a girl under a bed. And I think that's partially done because they didn't have the actress, right? So they're doing flashbacks and they needed to have Courtney. So they had to film Crystal Bernard being Courtney. So they added the boots in, which Russ did have boots, but they weren't the same kind of boots. Exactly. And she was under a couch, not a bed. I just want to point that out. Yeah. So... All of a sudden, you get the title card <laughs> over this nightmare with the stinger and everything like, whoa, here we are. Slumber right? Party Massacre too. <laughs> so she wakes up and uh, quickly after this over breakfast um, with her mom, we learned that Valerie's been institutionalized. Right. So that's where she is. We're not going to see her in the movie, apparently. And uh, so she goes to walk to school and on her walk to school, she sees the dead bird that was in her nightmare. So she's psychic. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even catch that. <laughs> So uh, Amy, as mentioned, Miss January 1982, um, picks her up <laughs> and they have this long drawn out singing session with this song Tokyo Convertible. I, Tokyo Convertible. I just want to point out the acting in this movie is actually pretty good. Yeah. 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 It, we're going to pick fun at this movie and we're going to joke at it a lot. The acting is fantastic. And honestly, it's a pretty well-made movie. Yeah. It, it's just a fun ride. It's nothing to take seriously. Yeah, yeah, This movie knew it was going to be a comedy. The thing about... Fuck it. I keep saying I'll save it for the end, but whatever. If they wanted to go the Rocky Horror Picture Show, this is a musical... Friggin' poultry geist. This is a this is a <laughs> musical route. If they would have veered hard in that direction, this would have been such a better package. It it takes itself too seriously to be funny at times. It's too zany to be serious. And then the way the songs, it's okay to have a 30 second, 60 second piece of a song and move on. But when that whenever a song comes up in this movie, that's it. You're hearing the entire song come to terms with. It. Right. So the way though it's explained, and this I will say to the end, the way it, it makes it's fitting by the time you get there. It does, but it's what could have been. So as they sing, Dream Dude, Matt, pulls up next to the girls, and they invite him over to watch him have band practice. So totally spinning this thing on its head, it's usually the guys like, you know, hey, hot girl, come watch me in my band. 
Right, right. We're going to hear about that guy later on in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he goes ahead and he comes by and Courtney invites him to the band's condo trip because they're going to go up there and work on some music. I do want to point out that it's an actual band, right? What do they call Wednesday Week? Yes, that they that the all the when the girls are playing, it's all from that band, and they're all actually playing instruments in time and everything. It's fantastic. Yep. Like the girl playing the drummer made sure she learned how to play drums just for the movie. And honestly, you, you see on Sleepless Nights, the singer of Wednesday Week say like she appreciates that they did that, and and me as a musician as well, it it annoys the hell out of me when they're not actually playing. So that was kind of a nice touch, but we do see that they have that like '80s girl band vibe thing going. Oh yeah, totally. So that night. Courtney, of course, has another nightmare. This time she sees the driller killer and Valerie gives her a message. Don't go all the way. Quite frankly, I think that's the cheesiest part of the movie is that line. <laughs> so the girls pick her up and, and on the drive to the condo, she continues to have nightmares like in the car, when they're parked, like all kinds of stuff. Except for during the musical number. She's okay then. <laughs> and of course, the dreams feature, you know, Valerie and Matt. And they end up at the Roach Condo. And I say the Roach <laughs> Condo because it's the same set where they had just filmed The Nest. And I don't care how good of a cockroach wrangler you are. Once those bastards are loose, they're loose. And the story goes that they were hunting down roaches. They pulled everybody out and bombed the place. And no right. matter what, the place was still filled with roaches. Full fumigation. And they <laughs> survived. The roaches survived. <laughs> but as they get there, they find a, uh, a blow-up doll. Because that's going to be a running gag a little bit later on in the movie. And uh, it's Sheila saying that, it, you know, oh, it's my brother. He's a pervert. And she's like, oh, uh, he's not the only one. <laughs> it's, it's so cheesy. So they get their corn dogs and their champagne. <laughs> that is right. They are, they are drinking expensive champagne and eating corn dogs. Most dads have a liquor cabinet. My dad has a liquor closet. It's a booze closet. <laughs> But uh, they're psyched because Rock and Roll High School is coming on on the TV. And it kicks right into the Ramones as they dance. No, it doesn't. Nope. <laughs> they use the wrong damn song. I guess they couldn't get the rights to it. Which is funny because isn't Rock and Roll High School a Corman movie? It is. Fuck, I think it is. Yeah, but I guess the Ramones still have the say in their music. Maybe. But <sighs> in true Slumber Party Massacre fashion, they start stripping. Sheila's like pole dancing on the lamp and stuff. Then the pillows come out. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's actually a pillow fight with feathers falling. And it, it totally does the 80s montage thing. Like, they are dancing in separate parts of the room, but then you have them in unison on the couch, you know, and all that stuff. Yes. It's, it's pretty straightforward 80s, other than the topless pillow fights. <laughs> and one of the girls, I remember she's like, I won't do nudity, but I'll do a sexy bra. Right? The drummer. Yeah. Yeah. The drummer girl. Oxy 10 girl. <laughs> So while this is going on, TJ and Jeff show up and it's a lot like the first one where right. they're like watching from outside and shit. So they eventually come in and they pair off and Courtney goes to bed having to listen to all this banging going around in other rooms. And sounds like a lot of fun, quite frankly. Yeah. And from what we know about her that, you know, one, she's probably still a virgin and two, she shouldn't go all the way. Right. She's got to be a virgin if she can't go all the way. <laughs> I guess those do go hand in hand, don't they? Let's say summon the dream demon. Wait, which franchise? <laughs> hang on, hang on. We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> so she has another nightmare. And this time, the driller killer appears in her bed. I am you, and you are me, until we go all the way. 
So the next morning, Courtney's telling Amy that uh, that this was real. He was in there with me. Just like Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. <laughs> Sorry, I held on to it for that long. <laughs> this actually kind of goes on quite a few times where she thinks she sees something fucky. Yeah. And then she gets back up and they're like, now nah, you're crazy. Yep. Uh, well, Amy says it's because she drank too much. And they're like, it's called blah, 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 blah. Anyways, trying to rationalize it. I think they blame everything on a hangover. Yes. Right? Like, I've never had that kind of hangover. Well, the the rest of the group comes out and TJ says that he can fix her hangover headache and has her stand by the pool and, and like, baptizes her. It's like, I cast you out with foul spirit or some shit and throws her in the pool. This guy's acting. It's the worst acting in the movie. It is. And he went on. Oh, crap. What was he in? But he went on to be in something else that, like, that's not him. Like, this was the character that he was playing. Right. And it's like. Spicoli, okay? Spicoli is this close to being too much. But this guy's like, oh, dude, tell you, like, I'm the cool guy in the movie. I'm going to talk like this the whole time, bruh. <laughs> it's terrible. I want to blow your mind. Okay. If it was Keanu Reeves. Oh, dude, yes. <laughs> it would have been All perfect. All day long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when was it? What was he doing? When was this? This was 87, right? What was he doing then? Bill and Ted, probably. Yeah. See, he, he had better things to do than suck Roger Corman's dick. So she ends up going for a nap. We don't get a nightmare sequence this time. She gets woke up by Heidi, I think. She's like, the boys made lunch. Come back out to the pool. And she comes back out to the pool for handwiches. Because <laughs> she thinks she sees a hand in her sandwich. It's like, oh, what's wrong with your burger? Here, have the chicken. <laughs> you put way too much ketchup on that. But we're seeing we're seeing whatever's going on in her head coming in into the real world, it seems, like Nancy. Um anyways. Yeah, I can do it on this one, damn it. Josh <laughs> None is of that finally, guy shit. <laughs> Josh is finally not a conspiracy theorist on this. He's actually right and might have some facts in this. So we end up with the girls doing another number and a little bit of a montage with the group hanging out. So afterwards, Courtney goes to the refrigerator and gets attacked by a chicken. Yeah. Poultry guys. It's so terrible. <laughs> it is. I don't want to sound like this is a shitty movie. If you haven't seen it, please see it. Yeah, it's not. This is Amazon Prime right now, right? This is. Yeah. Yes. The first one and the second one are both on Amazon Prime. The only two, right? <laughs> Touche. Um, but this one really is. my. This was my favorite out of the three. And when I poke fun at it, it's just because it's worth poking fun at. So at this point, Courtney, like, actually starts telling everybody, like, no, I've been having these dreams. And she starts talking in a southern accent for some reason. She sounds like <laughs> Wings, like her Wings character. I'm assuming that's her voice. So what happens next? What's supposed to happen next in one of these movies? She goes to take a bath. And then the tub starts filling up with blood. So because she's actually in the tub and the faucet's still going and it starts turning into blood. And she freaks out. She gets up. She runs downstairs to Sally. And she's like, you got to come up here and see this. It's fucking crazy. And she comes up there and she's like, yeah, it's crazy. You left the damn water on. Right. <laughs> and she's like, no, I'm telling you, I'm seeing this shit. Blah, blah, blah. And I, I'm saying Heidi because that's her actual name. Sally, the drummer girl. She's like, oh, I know. I've been fighting this zit all day and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And there starts, there's this cut back and forth between her talking and Courtney looking at her. And you start getting some straight up trauma looking makeup on her face. It's exactly what I thought was like toxic Avenger shit. <laughs> You're like, oh my God, are they really going this route? And they do because the zit explodes all over Courtney. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> it's great. Oh. So Courtney goes running downstairs and Matt has shown up at this point. And uh, she's like full on like 
telling about the jeweler killer. He's got to be in the house, like blah, blah, blah. Like anybody who's wondering if she might be crazy, she is convincing she is batshit crazy. But Matt's the one that's like, it's okay, girl, I got you. He's trying to get laid. Yeah, he is. I just want to say, I don't think we've mentioned this yet to any of the listeners who haven't seen the movie. But he doesn't have a normal drill. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He has. There a, hasn't been a full reveal of it yet. Though. You see it though in the dreams. <laughs> he has a crazy candy apple red. It's got the Steve Vai handles heavy metal guitar with a drill coming out of the headstock. It's like if Pinhead had a custom uh, BC Rich Warlock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was fucking pink as shit. <laughs> it's badass. I bought one. It's candy apple red. It's pink. Candy apple red, isn't it? I've got this color calibration DVD you can use on your TV. I'm telling you it's pink. <laughs> they sold it on eBay eventually. They did. Yeah. And what I, I will give them props for is they put a damn battery-powered drill in this damn thing, and this thing actually ran. Well, there are three of them. Well, yeah, they got to have the stunt one and this, that, and the other. I think he broke one of them, like, immediately because I saw an interview with the special effects guy. And he's like, he came in to, like, see the prop and costume. And I didn't realize he was going to be so rough with this thing. And he just started dancing and the neck <laughs> broke off. And it's because, oh, man, his moves are so sweet. I'm jealous. Like, can you imagine if Mikey broke out in that shit? Like, with a kitchen knife? There's actually YouTube videos or something similar, but. Isn't there, like, the Slash Street Boys that's got, like, all of them? The Merkins, man, their YouTube channel's great. It's nothing but slasher-like <laughs> hits. Oh, shit. But while she's going on her rant and everything, they do all realize and agree that Sally is missing. And they're like, oh, she probably just went to the store. Well, well, the car's still here. So, oh, shit, we better call the cops. Matt calls the cops, and officers Kruger and Voorhees show up. Right. <laughs> Which Kruger gets called by name and actually saw Voorhees on the name tag. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, uh... So as they're telling the cops what's going on, Sally walks in the door. She just went out for more zit cream. <laughs> She's like, I need Oxy-10. <laughs> and uh, Kruger is pissed and tells the kids not to yank his chain. Come on, Kruger. Denny's is holding our booth. And now we have a reason for the cops to not show up again in the rest of the film. Exactly. I do want to say this is the only movie in the trilogy where one of the girls isn't killed really early before the slumber party and they just think they're missing. True. Because that happens in the first and the third, right? Yep. I mean, the first. <laughs> Three animator three. So uh, the rest of the group heads off for dinner, leaving Matt and Courtney alone at the condo. So now they can bounce, bounce, bounce. But Matt's a sweetie. So he makes a dinner and a cake. What is that? Is that 16 candles? It looks <laughs> like it's out of 16 candles. Yeah. <laughs> Not like this. It's a John Hughes movie, man. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he tells her he knows what happened to the Cravens. Which, like I talked about earlier, it's like, no, that was the Devereaux's. But fuck it. Like you said, they just retconned it. So as the group comes back and downstairs, because it's, and it happens like that quick. Like they're all gone and then just right back. Matt and Courtney finally start to get after it upstairs. She starts to tell Matt she's never gone all the way. But the jeweler killer completes her sentence. And he bursts through Matt's chest with the damn guitar drill. Come on, baby. It's awesome. So Courtney runs downstairs with Driller Killer giving chase. And as she comes downstairs with him following, the group sees him. He's real. Yep. yep. Holy shit. She's <laughs> pulled him out of the dream. Yeah. Just like she did that hat. Wrong movie. <laughs> Too bad she didn't pull out that sweet, sweet BC Rich Warlock. <laughs> so the group scatters. TJ and Sheila run outside. So Amy and Jeff go for the phone. Sally goes running towards the open doorway. <laughs> 
because she's stuck behind the drum because they're like they're goofing off jamming when when uh, Courtney comes down. Right. So it's down to just Sally behind the drum kit and he kind of lets her get away and she's literally running towards the kitchen through this open doorway and just veers off to the left and runs into the damn wall. Once again, if they had just went hardcore in the comedy direction, it would have worked. I feel like they did, though. Like, they paid homage to that was before them, right? And they're, like, naming everything Bates and Craven and Voorhees and, and Kruger and all that shit. And, I mean, and we're about to have the killer do a musical number <laughs> with lights and smoke, man. I think I know what it would be for Halloween and next year. he does year. the worm. He's going to be the driller killer. I think this so. This driller yes. killer. The which, only driller killer. Which, by the way, there's been nothing in this film to tie him to the first, what's his actual name, Russ? Russ Thorne. Yeah, nothing to tie him to Russ Thorne. Courtney's the, the only tie-in. Yeah. Like I said, we'll get to that at the end. Yeah. We'll cover it. <laughs> so on the other side of this wall she runs into, when she's, you know, she just spins around a place screaming, is where Jeff and Amy are trying to call 911. I actually love the shot. Yeah. So as as Sally screams and he goes for, we cut back to the phone and the drill actually coming through the phone and ripping it apart and blood and gore coming through the wall and shit. So that was cool. So then we've got Courtney, because this is really the third act at this point. We've got Courtney, Amy, and Jeff all make it outside together. And Jeff says they should make a run for it in his car, but there's a problem. No keys. So they go back for the keys. And instead of leaving the way they came in through the back door, they go all the way through the house to the front door. This just bothers me just for horror movies in general. But they make it out to the car unscathed. But they don't check the fucking back seat. Man, in the start fucking rocking out. This is dedicated to the one I love. And we get another chest burst. No more Jeff. Wait a minute. Was there a Jeff in both movies? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Is there a not Jeff? <laughs> no, they call him TJ in this one. Spicoli. So Amy and Courtney run back to the house. Meanwhile, TJ and Sheila make it to another condo, and they're banging on the door, and no one comes. And so while this is going on, we see the POV shot from Driller Killer running up on them, and they go to run away over towards the garage, and uh, Driller Killer slashes Sheila, and straight up disembowels TJ. Right, TJ right. is gone. No more him, bro. Uh, <laughs> that was terrible. And then uh, the dude opens up the door and he like looks around. He's like, damn kids. Uh, did you know that he's listed in the credits as Mr. Damn Kids? <laughs> and I think he's the producer or something. But he's the guy that's in the Sleepless Nights with the director writer of the movie. Let's talk the whole time. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Mr. Damn Kids. Mr. Damn Kids. So back at the condo, Courtney calls the cops, but it's Kruger who answers and basically tells them, that's it. Don't call back again because you yank my chain and I'll fucking kill you. He, th- he says something, something like, like that, that. before then, the Denny's line. And then a tongue comes out of the phone. <laughs> ah, oh, wrong movie. <laughs> yes. I'm on board this time. This only, this one and only time. So banged up Sheila makes her way back to the house and she goes upstairs. Only problem is Amy and Courtney have done barricaded themselves in the bedroom upstairs. This sounds a lot like the first one. Yeah. 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 Driller killer has followed her into the house. This is the best part of the movie. And he goes to hightail it right up the stairs behind her. No, he doesn't. This is when he gets his full on let's buzz. (laughs) musical number i love this part there's a song by a band called the urinals i'm a bug and it and it does this buzz buzz and it makes me think of totally different genres but it makes me think of that song 
But yeah, he goes through the whole thing and he's doing the worm and he's dancing and singing downstairs and he's dancing and singing his way up the stairs. He has lights. <laughs> There's a smoke machine. He does a, a slide, a, a crotch, crotch straddled slide down the banister. <laughs> no killer has ever looked this sweet is what we're trying to say. I mean, it's awesome. He's like lip syncing the whole time. The guy was a talented dancer. Like, like if you're listening to this and you haven't seen this movie, but you've seen Six String Samurai, just pretend it's him, only cooler, one decade removed, and killing co-eds. <laughs> Even then, man, just look up the dance on YouTube, man. It's great. So the girls in the bedroom hear him in all his jubilee coming down the hallway while the other girl's banging on the door, but they're like, oh, no, it's him. Don't open the door. Go out the window. And finally, he finishes his number, flicks on the damn drill, and guts Sheila. So he breaks down the door, and the girls head out the window. And now we get a chase across the rooftops. I love this part, because the girls are running across the roof, and he's, like, up on top of the chimney, doing solos and guitar solo. (laughs) And it looks like dude's really on the roof, like, just like, and I couldn't have done that. But it looks awesome. <laughs> he might be my second favorite slasher, man. <laughs> this guy is fantastic. He's doing like the psychobilly and everything this is great. We needed this guy in the third movie. Could have just had him in burn makeup and a red and green sweater. <laughs> we could put him in every movie. <laughs> so eventually the chase leads to a construction site. And uh, as they're like bobbing and weaving through studs and half finished shit, he gets the girls a couple of times. So they're bleeding. And uh, the girls get far enough away to get upstairs. And uh, Driller Killer stops for a smoke because, you know, he's been wailing on the guitar. Like, oh, yeah. He needs dancing to and take some me time. So as he stopped for a smoke, blood drips on his face and he looks up and he drills up at the girls, but they run off. Now, in this crazy mad running away from the drill from below, Amy goes right off the second floor. Yes. But she manages to hold on with Courtney's help. But Driller Killer is right there, takes a swing at Courtney. She lets go of Amy and Amy falls to her death. Goodbye, Miss January 1982. (laughs) So Courtney makes her way up to the roof, and she finds an oxyacetylene torch. Now, I have a problem with this, because it's all timber construction. Like, it's all wood. (laughs) Are you going to try to apply physics to a movie? No, no, because that's fixed to go way out the window. Okay, okay. I just feel like we can't nitpick this one, because we have a a psychobilly killer With a fucking drill guitar with a dance number with fog machines and lights. And you're like, oh, the torch and the wood. I don't think we can do that right now. And as she finds the torch, Driller Killer pops up. Come on, baby. Which is really odd because he's like, basically, come on, kill me. Because this is undoing right here. Well. What we're fixing to see is he knows how much product is in his hair. Oh. There's no no surviving this. Pompadours are hard to hold up. <laughs> they are. And uh, she hits him with the torch. He bursts into flames and uh, falls off the ledge. That sweet, sweet guitar. It uh, fades to the next morning, and she checks the sheet to see if Amy's really dead, I guess. And Amy starts laughing, but it's the driller killer's voice. And then she wakes up next to Matt. So it's like Inception. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And cool. This was all a dream because it's back in the room at the condo. I would have been so mad. So why? Because she made it with Matt? No, because I hate it when a movie ends and it's like, oh, it's Uh, all a dream. But then Matt turns into the driller killer and she wakes up again 
in the asylum from her dreams that she kept seeing Valerie in, only it's her in the asylum as the drill's coming through the floor. And Credits. she's screaming. Yeah. She's screaming. And and normally that would make me mad in a movie also, just like the dream thing, but not in this one, because it, it really, to me, fixes any continuity problems you'd have between this and the original, because the original was so serious, and then this one's not, and he's a fucking rockabilly guitarist killing him. And it's like, oh, Courtney's batshit crazy from PTSD. Yeah. And we're getting like a teenage girl's version of events that's locked in a padded room. If there was some reference to Courtney, the character, liking rockabilly or like mentioning a rockabilly guy, I'd I'd go for it. But it's just so, it's too easy to put a bow on it that way. But that's it. Oh, she's psychic now. That kind of shit. Making all that go away with the dream, I'm fine with that. And it really fixes the going from such a serious tone to, to the trauma style also. Yeah. Because she was supposed to be, I think, like 13 in the first one. And then she's like 17-ish, you know. So it's like, what what would she know by that point in her life? <laughs> if she's been crazy in a padded room for that many years? Yeah. Like I said, I, I really wish they had gone, far, picked one direction and just went balls out. But like I said, as well, out of the three, that one I like the best. I don't know if, if you caught this, but I managed to set through the whole credits because I was doing shit and didn't feel like <laughs> stopping it. And it does the normal like trademark and likenesses or not related, blah, 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 crap. And then it pops up and says, any unauthorized exhibition, distribution, or copying of this film or any part thereof, including soundtrack, is an infringement of the relevant copyright and will subject the infringer to severe civil and criminal prosecution as well as a midnight visit from the driller killer. <laughs> Into the credits. It was fantastic. Did you catch that? No, I did not sit through the credits. Maybe it's because I watch all these Marvel movies and shit. I want to see the extra scene, but no, it was just an accident. But I'm, I'm really glad I caught that because I didn't see any reference to that on the documentary or like any any review I saw or something. So I, I don't know. It was just like a really neat addition there. Yeah, that's some funny shit. But uh, like the first one, this one still saw a return on investment. So three years later, in 1990, we get what is at least called Slumber Party Massacre 3. This one, it had different working titles, Nightlight, Stab in the Dark. I actually like the name Stab in the Dark. And if you see interviews with the cast members, some of them didn't even know they were making a Slumber Party movie until it came out. (laughs) Because they had never heard that word thrown around. And I honestly feel like... It was not a Slumber Party Massacre 3 movie, and they decided to throw that on at the end. Yeah. Because there's not even really that much drill action in this movie. No. And it... mm. And I I didn't write the cast down because, like, a lot of these... Some of them I'll mention later, but, like, a lot of the people in these movies, they didn't didn't do a whole lot, and they weren't... I don't want to say relevant, but, you know, they weren't like, oh, they were in this horror movie and that one... Like, the guy that plays Michael, he was probably the most famous one that I've seen, and, and he was in a Friday the 13th movie as well, I think. <laughs> but but other than that, I mean, it's just, like, not much came out of this movie. It was directed by Sally Mattinson. It's her only director credit. Wonder why. <laughs> she hated horror and still hates horror to this day, but she wanted the chance to direct, and she took it, and maybe she shouldn't have. I feel bad for her, honestly. Yeah. And it was written by Catherine Siran. So it was also, you know, written, directed by females, just like the other movies. And she's just done random stuff. I mean, it was just like a, like I said, this is not like a heavy hitter by any means. 
And really, I'm just going to jump straight into this piece of shit tragedy and, and just hold out through me. I mean, unfortunately, it counts as a trilogy. A lot of people, if you go online, they just don't even acknowledge the existence of this one. And it's actually hard to get because, I mean, nobody wants to see it. Well, just like Season of the Witch, we're going for it. We're going for it. I like Season of the Witch. Fuck you. Well, I like it, too. I'm talking about a lot of people that love Michael Myers and refuse to uh, acknowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Michael Myers a lot, though, so... We get our opening credits, though, and it's just like a photo album of our principal cast. And it ends on a random shot of a dude with curly hair and a little boy on his shoulder. Did they find the photo album on eBay? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this is one of the funniest things from, like, you're watching making of uh, Blue Ruin by Jeremy Sinai, and he's like, we just bought the photo album on eBay. It had the pictures in it already. Who sells that? <laughs> and you can't say who buys it because apparently directors. Yep. But, uh... We get live shots of our principal cast now, and they're all playing beach volleyball in bikinis because it's a slumber party movie. And while they're playing, this weird-looking dude comes in in all black, and he sits down, and he's just staring at him with this creepy stare. And there's nobody else on this beach. It's so obvious. Yeah, they're trying to get their top gun on, and friggin' the Columbine dude comes and sits down. But really, it takes the gang way too long to notice him. And I want to say it's Duncan, maybe. I don't know. He's got, like, the, the Jeff Daniels Dumb and Dumber bowl cut. It's, oh, it's, this movie's too easy. The one Blowing who, and fruit. The one who buys the shirt later? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Long story short here, we find out that Jackie's parents, Jackie's the main star of this movie, her, her parents are moving the family to, like, another city, and she doesn't want to leave, and her friend's like, oh, you could maybe live with me, blah, blah, blah. And the parents are out of town, and that's how they're going to have the slumber party, okay? And they leave, and I want to say, you, you see a close-up that she left her address book. Yeah, well, well Boobs McGee goes over and talks to uh, yeah, the I polo guess star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah. yeah, uh, I swear one of the girls in this one's a playmate, too, but... <laughs> But one of the girls goes to get, you know, the stray volleyball and, and the guy's name's Ken and he basically looks like a Ken Barbie doll, right? And, oh, you're blah, 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 little sister. And she invites him to the party because apparently there's a, not a no dude rule. But as they part ways, we, uh, this is more in touch with the, the first movie, at least. We cut to an alley somewhere and we can see like the, the spray paint and the graffiti and she's walking down the street and she gets to her car alone. And when she gets to it, she realizes that it's unlocked for some reason. It's totally a no-key situation here. And uh, she gets in and doesn't check the back seat, even though she's startled that it was was not locked. And as soon as she sits down and buckles up, we see gloved hands come up from behind her, grab her, and then another hand has a drill in the mirror. And uh, we get our first kill just nine minutes in. But I, that's honestly the only link I can give to the other movies. There was a drill, and they killed one of the girls before the party. Yeah, and it's the straight up through the seat, chest burst. But it's so poorly done. Like this, it, even the effects are worse than this one. Yeah, this is like this really feels made for TV. Not like Deadly Blessing, like polished, made for TV, like Hallmark Channel. Not my TV. <laughs> I'm never gonna watch this movie again. I swear. Oh no, I'll watch the one scene with Michael. But basically, we get an '80s montage in a '90s movie because it's 1990s. The coattails of it, right? Of uh, Frank death rattles like shit. <laughs> Frank driving and dropping everybody off, right? And they're playing music and swerving like clueless style in between lanes. It's terrible. But he drops Jackie off last, and we find out that they got a thing going on, and basically they've hooked up recently. And, and Jackie goes to her door by herself, and the front door slightly open. And when she opens it, we see a second weirdo named Morgan, and they scare each other and both do like a high-pitched girl scream. 
which is kind of funny. <laughs> but we find out that her house on the market, he's like, I thought it was an open house because I saw the door. That's <laughs> the fuck. I thought he was the creepy dude from the beach at first. <laughs> oh, no, they look completely different. They both have blonde hair, but he's a lot older. And uh, he wants to check out the house, so she lets him. And while he's looking around the house, she checks the answer machine, and we find a message from her parents that says they're out house shopping. And then we get another voicemail, and it's like a creepy dude saying something like, I'm going to kill you. I, mean, get you. I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> it just hangs it up like whatever. I'm going to do what mommy told me not to. <laughs> right. So, like, we got another red herring here, right? And uh, the important thing about Morgan, I guess, she knew his name because she goes, Morgan, what are you doing here? And she lets him look around the house. So she's yeah. not startled. She should be. But at this point, I mean, we're really jumping straight into the slumber party here. But we see Jackie having the most tasteful shower scene of the entire trilogy because there's no nudity in this one. You can't see her through the glass. She puts a towel around before she gets out. Yeah. Did Corman have anything to do with this one? Ah, uh, yeah. We'll get he to that He was still a producer in this yeah. one. I was joking because we're going to get to that uh, at the end. It's okay. bad. But as Jackie's getting out of the shower, she hears somebody at the door. And when she goes to open it, she's surprised by the soon-to-be body bags as they've arrived for their slumber party. Because <laughs> we know where this is going. We've been there twice now. With a much less interesting cast, though, in this one. Yeah. I don't even remember half their names. It's going to be terrible. But basically, we find out they've all brought dessert and that Jackie, somewhere in all here, started a barbecue in the back. And uh, we find out that the character Maria, who's played by Maria Ford, can't act. <laughs> it's terrible, everything she says. And if you look at her IMDb, it's hilarious and unfortunate because it's really long on the trivia and says almost played blah, blah, blah in this movie. And it's like showgirls and stuff. So it's like basically every time a movie was semi-famous, they needed a naked person. She auditioned and didn't get the part. Uh, I wonder why. I just want to say the, the other movies, at least they had decent actors. The acting's bad in this one. Yeah. Even the killer and stuff. It's just yeah, all terrible. Everything is bad in this one. The main two girls, like Jackie and oh, I want to say Diane, but that's the girl <laughs> from the other movies. I could be wrong. They were okay. But other than that, I it's almost just like, like that. I mean, you know. But the girls are waiting for their friend Sarah to show up. So I'm guessing that's the one that got it in the car at the beginning. And for some reason, she's not there. They don't know why. I think I got an idea. However, we see Morgan lives across the street. And he's spying on the girls with a telescope, and he calls, and Jackie answers, and he says, can I come over and see the rooftop at night? Because I like to sightsee with my telescope. And Jackie's like, no. Meanwhile, he's spying on him the whole time, right? Yeah. He sighs, and then hangs up the phone, and he breaks out his human anatomy book. Because <laughs> this red herring wasn't red enough. Yeah, what no the shit. Fuck? But it wouldn't be a slumber party masker movie if the boys didn't show up uninvited, right? So we see Frank pull up the car with Michael and Tom, and they want to crash the party. Frank's uncomfortable with the idea because he actually likes Jackie, and he's already in. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. why mess up a good thing? But the guys want to have a peek at the girls, and they hint back to some other event where they scared something, and they got shit in the trunk. And basically, they have latex monster masks in the trunk, right? Yeah. They break them out, and they start walking down the house. The girls, by the way, during all this, are dancing and stripping for each other. And they literally say, give me a strip tease. And they're just <laughs> naked and popping their tits out everywhere. Because Roger Corman, right? <laughs> and uh, once again, I was waiting on the pillow fight that didn't come. We only got the pillow fight in the second one. If you're going to do the stereotype, just go all in. <laughs> oh. So at this point, the guys sneak into the titty show with cheap monster mask on and scare the shit out of the girls. The girls didn't kick their ass this time. Yeah. But, uh. They're frightened and run off until the boys reveal their faces, and Jackie gets super pissed at Frank and kicks them all out. 
As they're kicking them out, though, they hear a loud crash outside, and they run out and see that the grill's tipped over, and there's embers everywhere burning the uh, the wooden you know deck or porch. Cause that's an ongoing thing. It's like the house is yeah. being sold, and it, she's got to keep it clean. And uh, they put the fire out and then finish kicking the guys out. Someone's stalking the guys, though, as they leave, and they're breathing heavy, Mikey-style, only <laughs> shitty. Did you, maybe this was just me, in all seriousness right now, did you notice that the layout of this house is very similar to the house in Night Trap? So I was going to say, I was thinking of Night Trap the whole time I watched this movie and I couldn't figure out why. Especially when the girls, this scene, when the boys scare them and all three girls are running towards the back of that room and shit. You got, you got the co-eds in the house. You got the auger bit. Right. And the augers, like. Oh no, the killer walks the corn cob up their ass like an auger later too. <laughs> Which I'm going to get to that. I wish there was a way to cover Night Trap on this podcast. We're going to have to do a video game episode. <laughs> game is fantastic. If you haven't seen it, I think you can buy it. I know you can get it on Steam, but it, it's an old, old, good, original digital game. Well, it's and it's the, awesome. And all the video for it was shot in like 83, 84. That's what everybody yeah. forgets is that it was shot that old. Anyways, that house really reminded me of the house from it Night does, Trap. It does. I looked it up. It's not the same set. Ooh, I was wondering. <laughs> But I mean, now the slumber party, though, it's got to go into full effect. So all the girls got to get in like 90s and all this shit, scantily dressed. I just don't think girls do this when they hang out. I feel like they're in like yoga pants and t-shirts a lot. Yoga pants can be hot. (laughs) (laughs) But Frank and Tom go to get flowers and beer to bring to the girls because it's probably a pretty good idea on Frank's part. And they leave Michael because he's the sweet talker. And they'll get Michael in there and he can fix this, right? So he walks up to get an apology. And we see that the weirdo from the beach, I got I to gotta clarify which weirdo because there's so many of them. The weirdo from the beach is stalking everyone. And Michael knocks on the door to be let in. But the girls can hear him in this movie, but they're ignoring him and crank the music up, right? Because they're like, oh, let's just ignore him. And then we see a man in a black hoodie, but he has one of those like clear masks that has like the eyebrows and the lips on it, which is actually kind of a cool creepy yeah, mask. I was cool with that. And... He runs off and Michael goes looking for the guy and he's nowhere to be seen until he ninja style drops <laughs> off the roof. And then Michael runs from him and he's beating on the door again. And the killer runs up and there's a for sale sign staged in the yard. <laughs> Love this kill. It's the only kill I can say that, I think. He yanks the sign out and he runs and impales it in Michael's chest. <laughs> and then he hides the body, takes the light bulb out of the porch, and then just sticks the bloody yard stake back in the yard. But, he, but there's the shot. Of after he gets in the chest where he's dragging the body off the porch. And so now the sign's upright again. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, ch- ch- with the house for sale sign wiggling back and forth. And on Sleepless Nights, the actor is talking about how he had to eat lunch with that thing hanging out of his chest. <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> Only good thing in this movie. But the girls, they hear all this, but they just think it's another prank. Because yeah. they, like they said, remember that one time we scared blah, blah, blah with the mask? Apparently, this is their MO. And the girls, uh, they end up looking out like Valerie did in the first one. And then they're like, those assholes took the light bulb, which I don't really know why I took the light bulb. Made me think of the strangers. I love that movie. It's so creepy. But I don't know. Somewhere in this piece of shit movie, they ordered a pizza. Because that, <laughs> that happens. Party Massacre movie. Right, go right. have pizza. And uh, we see this, this part. My notes say we see yet another weird looking guy lurking outside it's duncan we saw him at the beginning but it's he was so unnoticeable i forgot about him he honestly looks like jeff daniels from dumb <laughs> but a pizza lady shows up and he pays her all the money in his pockets to swap shirts with her so he can deliver the pizza himself and she does this right out in the open doesn't even get in the car to change 
I know, I know. Well, he's like, turn around because I don't want you to see me this way. Yeah. It's pretty funny. But somewhere in there, we see in the house, and we find out that Juliet, the one I, I think called her like Boobs McGee or whatever, has invited Ken over, the guy she met at the beginning, and the doorbell rings, and they open it, and it's Duncan. Uh, not another one. They decided to let him stay because he brought food at least, right? And uh, I was doing this wrong in my formative years. I know, right? And uh, Budget Michael Myers <laughs> is stalking the pizza lady. As she walks down the street, and then he chases her, and he kills her with the drill, drags her body off. Another drill that's powered by sunshine and unicorns. Fucking pixie dust. And then we get more girl talk, but this one's not about tits getting bigger, but uh, <laughs> Diane wants to know how Jackie and Frank hooked up, and then they hear someone at the back door. They think it's Michael trying to scare him again, and when they pull the curtain back, it's the beach weirdo, and they scare each other and scream, and he runs off. But he drops her address book that she left at the beach. Yep. Because this movie's kind of a whodunit, so they're trying to give us all these weirdos here. Yeah. <laughs> but Frank and Tom show back up with their beer and flowers, and the girls call the police as they arrive. At this point, Ken also shows up for Juliet, and the cops dismiss it. It's Officer O'Reilly, I think. He, he, don't, he won't have any other shit from the get-go, because he can hear drinking in the background and people laughing. Yeah. And when he gets off the phone, he's talking to the detective, and we find out that another cop has committed suicide just out of nowhere. They just mention it. I hope this is relevant later. The weirdo, and just to clarify, we're talking about the beach weirdo, <laughs> continues to stalk everybody, and then he sneaks into the basement. Most of the party starts to pair up, you know, make out here, go talk here. And Susie, who's like the most innocent girl next door out of all of them, yeah. takes Tom downstairs to show him the random MacGuffin fishing equipment. Right? That the dad owns. And he hits on her with the best line ever. I, I always thought of you kind of like a sister. Please go on. Quickly. Seriously, though, Susie might be the best actress in this movie. And, and I'm sorry, I didn't write her name. We'll have to IMDb her. But, you know, just the conversation between her and Tom is the best bit of dialogue in this movie. And that's really sad to <laughs> yeah. say. But it's pretty funny to go back. She's like, oh, shit. You know? Yeah. Stuff like that. And, and I liked it. They start to make out. But the weirdo's watching from the basement. The beach weirdo. But at this point, I would say we're kind of like stepping into the final act of the movie or whatever where shit starts to go down. Because upstairs, the actual Rico Suave, Ken, has Juliet and they're making out. They're undressing. And uh, she reaches down to grab his junk and he gets pissy and rolls over and says, he's had too much beer. And like the most emo voice ever. And come on, dude, you just got here. What beer, right? <laughs> and, and she lets him know that there are other ways to make her happy. And the girls are spying on him during all this because he starts going down on her and the girls can hear her moaning. Just assume they're having sex, right? Yeah. She finishes and she sends Ken downstairs and says, make up some bullshit. I'm going to take a shower. She goes in, opens a drawer and finds Jackie's mom's plug-in vibrator and says, oh man, it must be catching. Poor guys. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Jackie's dad must not be able to get a hard on either. And oh, shit. Randomly, the bathtub's running behind her, which I never saw her turn on, and that's not a shower, but fuck it. Yeah. So she gets in the bathtub, plugs in the dildo first, and um, <laughs> somebody comes in, turns out the light, drops the vibrator in the tub, killing her via electrocution, and I hope I never have to say that on this podcast again. Like, I thought that was great. <laughs> it would have been great in Summer Party Massacre, too. <sighs> See what I'm saying? Still, I mean, the... So far, out of all the shit we've watched and all the shit we've covered, this is the only time that I can say, remember that movie where that chick gets killed by the vibrator? I put this out there with the carrot dick from Jack Frost. <laughs> the carrot dick from Jack Frost was an accident. 
We'll cover that next Christmas. <laughs> okay. Stay tuned, guys, till the end of the year. But anyways, Ken comes downstairs with some lame-ass story, and Maria decides to go check on Juliet or powder her nose or whatever the fuck she lamely acted out. And when she goes up there, you can hear, like, water squishing, and Juliet's missing from the tub. She pulls the curtain back. There's no corpse. But since the floor is soaked, she decides to get a towel and just dab it. You can't dab the sweetheart. And she follows the trail like Scooby-Doo, right? Sniffing the footprints all the way up to the closet where Juliet's body is tucked in a Trisha's favorite hiding place. <laughs> they refer to it as a garbage bag, but it's got a zipper on it. Like, it's it's the it's the suit bag again. Garment bag. Garment bag. Thank you. But yeah, I would never hire this chick to clean my house. No, no. But they realize the killer must be in the house at this point. And Ken is now just like super emo and pouty the whole time. And <laughs> talks about how his uncle used to be on the police department and they should call the police. So they do. He actually calls the police himself first. And Officer Riley answers the phone and he, he's kind of going with it for a second. until so Jackie takes the phone and then he's not having any other shit. And he hangs up on him. Detective Davis, who he talked about the uh, suicide cop earlier with, walks in the room. And he says, oh, Riley. Do you ever worry that you're going to do that to somebody and they actually need our help? You want to answer this fucking phone? Because I don't need this shit. But Detective Davis says he's willing to swing by the house when he's off of his shift and just to check on him. And that way he's not interfering with work, right? Yeah. Back at the house, though, Ken says he's going to go get his uncle since he was, you know, an ex-cop. And Tom decides to go with him. Uncle. Tom and Ken start running down the street with their fire pokers in hand, and Ken pulls a hammy or some shit, can't fucking move anymore. If it wasn't real obvious that something's up with Ken, it should be super obvious now. Anyways, Tom lets him know that he's got a Achilles tendon problem that always bothers him too, and it's okay, man. And Ken's randomly like, oh, cool, an old lumber yard. I bet we can find tools as weapons in here. Let's go, buddy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it should continue to get more obvious here. But Tom finds a sledgehammer, willingly hands it over to Ken, who then proceeds to try to murder him with it. <laughs> Tom puts up a pretty good fight, but then he's knocked down by Ken, who then cuts his Achilles tendons open with a chainsaw. But then he delivers the ever menacing line, don't ever admit your weaknesses, man, which is fucking terrible. And I guess his is a working dick, right? <laughs> so you got a working dick and an Achilles tendon. <laughs> Do you think he worked this line over in his head like the dude in Boondock Saints too? <laughs> Where he's like, order some quesadillas, bitches, you know what I'm talking about? Like it was delivered that well. Oh. At least it's a known joke in that movie. Yeah. But Ken then proceeds to walk down the street like a penguin with a corn cob up his ass. <laughs> so that's what you're talking about with the augers from that yeah, trap. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's, watch it. The way he walks is terrible. <laughs> he does it throughout the movie, it's like from here on out. It's like it's a different walk. Tom's left for dead, but we do see him try to crawl away in a different scene. This whole scene was added after the movie was finished because I think it was Corman felt there wasn't enough violence in the movie. And it gave another scene to show how crazy Ken was. Yeah. Which is going to make sense when we get to like the end end here. So they went back and just shot him murdering Tom. There starts to be continuity problems in this movie, and it's because of reshoots. But back at the house, Jackie and Frank discovered the basement window was left open, and the weirdo's found dead in the basement in a box. So Beach Weirdo's gone, which we don't need the red herring anymore. Jackie starts to think that maybe Morgan from across the street's killing everybody, which we know it's not. We didn't need them to put a red herring in here. Yeah. Ooh. This The Ken scene was added after the fact, the lumberyard scene. We hadn't seen Ken murder Tom at this point. Oh. They should have cut that line out, honestly, okay. yeah. Because you, you would think it was Morgan at this point. Yeah. yeah. 
That didn't even occur to me when I was watching it. Yeah, you honestly would think it was Morgan at that point. But we see Ken call from a payphone. And kids, if you don't know, a payphone is a box that you still put <laughs> coins in. Has this joke gotten old yet? I might have overplayed it, but we're, we're keeping it. It's a shtick now at this point. But really, this is this is the end of the movie here. Because Ken calls and says that he and his uncle are on the way and to stay in the house. And that Tom also is by himself because he went to get the real police at the police station. And this all makes sense if you remove the lumberyard scene. Yeah. Because you still would think Ken was not the killer at this point. Yeah. Unless you're an idiot. Well, honestly, the most obvious scenes were all part of the lumberyard, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, honestly, it might have been better had they not added this. Now that I think about it. And then Ken walks up to this, I don't know, I don't want to call it the TARDIS, but it looks like a work what? truck. <laughs> and he opens the doors, and then it's like a whole fucking storage room. Like, you couldn't have a truck this big. And he has a shrine to what I guess is his uncle. It's the cop from the newspaper. And there's, like, weird police stuff on that shelf. And then a spiked collar really out of place but kind of not if you think about it and like in a homoerotic sense yes this is a nightmare on elm street 2 freddy's revenge spike collar kind of thing in here okay and there's weapons hanging on the wall like the drill and like knives and hammers and shit and uh there's some bodies stacked in there it's the pizza girl and michael's body so this he's he stashed them in this truck okay okay he takes the drill picks up a picture of his uncle and he says, this is all for you. And he puts it in his pocket. And then his corncob ass walks to the house <laughs> just the same weird way with the drill and uh, goes to the door and knocks on it and immediately guts Duncan as he opens the door. And it's terrible. Like yeah. the way they cut it, you could tell he didn't like the camera angle. He obviously didn't hit him. And the effects and the gut cut, I don't, I mean, if they made money on the first two, I don't know why you skimped so bad on this one. Yeah, but, it's like there was no makeup effects department in this one. Yeah. Duncan's down. He's out. Frank attacks and wrestles with Ken and gets him down on the ground. And Morgan can see all of this from the street because he's still spying on the telescope. And he calls the police. <laughs> and O'Reilly's like, oh, yes, doctor. Yes, because he says I'm doctor, blah, blah, blah. He, he'll listen to him. <laughs> and uh, he said he's going to send the police right over. Ken knocks up Frank, and then he stops the girls from getting out the back door. I think he, like, wedged a piece of wood so they couldn't slide the door open. Yep. And they scatter, and he tries to kill them. Oh, and and at this point, you see one of the girls opens a curtain, and Tom's dead on the glass, right? So you think oh, maybe yeah. he crawled all the way to the house? No, it's just because they found him dead in the movie originally. They, he had an off-screen death. But when they added the lumberyard scene, I guess we're supposed to assume he crawled across town to the window. Yeah, totally. Anyways. But it, like it's just continuity error after continuity error because of added scenes. Yeah. It gets worse in a minute. Um, oh, boy. This next part drags on quite a bit, so I'm going to truncate it the best I can. But Ken chases all the girls. He's terrible at catching them. He manages to wing Diane. So I was right. The girl's name is Diane. Oh, so they go. didn't even come up with the original names. He beats <laughs> Susie up. Uh, and then he has some weird panic attack about his uncle knowing best. And he has flashbacks. <laughs> the uncle knows best. Uncle knows best. And then he, he kills Janine after she knocks herself the fuck out by running through a glass plate door. She just like slings herself through it and knocks herself out. And you find her gutted later. That's honestly the best special effects in the movie is her laying there, yeah. their intestines out. And um, the girls get cornered in the basement because apparently they've never seen Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> You don't go to the basement. The girls get out of the basement after shooting our new driller killer, I guess, Ken, with the MacGuffin harpoon gun in the fishing area. 
and run upstairs and then they blind him in the living room with the bleach they got out earlier to clean the pizza out of the carpet so that Jackie's parents will get mad. And uh, during all this, Maria gets winged by a blinded Ken as he's just swinging the uh, the drill around. Yeah, he's now Mikey at the end of Halloween 2. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, and just for another reference, she basically Friday the 13th Part 2 mind fucks Ken. Yeah. And it's her best acting in the movie. Honestly, when she's saying you can do anything you want to, to like the whole well, the the dialogue, it's much better, but it's because this is all filmed after the fact. So yeah. maybe she had some, some practice here. Um, no, but, I'm, I'm being an asshole, but I do agree. Like this is her only acting. Yeah. Cause when she shows up at the beginning, she's like, I brought brownies and stuff like that. It's like, it's so bad, but she does not do this here. I've never seen her in another movie. She could be a perfectly fine actress after this, but, uh, she talks Ken into making out with them, which he's cool with. He, he's blinded by bleach, but he's on her and he's, um, kissing her and pops her boobs out and he's like all over and it's it's very gratuitous and it, it's cringy and it's like rape yeah oh, I mean, it's, it's, de- it's definitely rapey and she goes and grabs his dick or tries to grab his dick and he freaks out again and then he gives her that dp action she was wanting earlier drill penetration okay because the look on my face was like i stepped in dog shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know earlier she's like i just wish a guy would get me she got it just with the drill And uh, this scene was added. Corman was mad because the director didn't put enough tits in the movie. It pissed him off. And Maria was originally just killed with no dialogue. Like he swung the drill around and got her and she fell over and died. That was it. Okay. And that's why it doesn't, if you think about it, the girls are just in the house and he's blind and they're watching him rape her. That was the part I had trouble with because the two girls are in one room and then the one girl's in the other room and they're just sitting there through all this. Yeah, you don't see them sitting there because none of this happened when they filmed the movie. Like she just got winged and they're trying to get out. Yeah. And the director was really uncomfortable, did not want to make the scene, hated the scene, feels like it's rape and continues to hate the scene for the rest of her life. And this is the only movie she ever directed. I'm sure this had something to do with it. Yeah. So that was another addition to the movie that fucked up the continuity. But the girls are trying to be quiet as blind Ken runs around with the drill and I, mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but basically they kick his ass with a croquet mallet and wrap him with a bag net net. And Jackie wants to call the police again. And Diane being the only rational one says, fuck it. Let's just kill him. Well, and the, the other girls don't agree to murder him. Well, I, th- I think she's got a, uh, a polo stick. Cause you know, he's the polo King. Oh, okay. The irony kicks in on that now. Sorry. Yeah. I don't, I don't know rich white people sports. Well, <laughs> Well, there were attempts made, <laughs> sprinklings of attempts made in this movie. <laughs> no, there wasn't. <laughs> hey, you don't get to see a rat fight a fist of cups with a penis. <laughs> oh my God, it's so bad. Um, honestly, though, Diane, I, I loved hearing somebody in the movie be like, let's just fucking kill his ass. Like, I loved actually hearing that in a movie for once. But sadly, the girls don't agree. And <laughs> they're trying to figure out what to do. And he starts to get his vision back. And he starts having creepy flashbacks with his uncle. And he then attacks Diane with the knife, killing her. Well, he mortally wounds her at this point until Jackie driller killers the shit out of him with his own drill. Then we see Diane die because they wouldn't listen to her. They should just listen to her. She would have made it. And then Jackie finds the photo of Ken and his uncle, which was the one from the opening credits, right? And the one he took in the truck. Yeah. Freaks out and drops it as the police arrive in credits. Nothing made sense about this with his uncle unless his uncle was sexually molesting him. And the spike collar kind of leads me to believe that. Yeah. And I'm totally with you on that. And I didn't, 
listening to you go through the movie makes shit make more sense because every time a girl goes for his junk, that's when he loses his shit. So right. either A, he's dickless, or B, it's triggering that part of his brain that's like, Uncle, no! Uh, that's all I got. And even when you watch the Sleepless Nights documentary, like, I don't, I don't remember who says it, but it might have even been the director. She's like, I don't know if he's possessed or what. Like, yeah, nobody like, knows. Yeah, they go for nothing. And honestly, I don't think this was meant to be a Slumber Party Massacre movie. I think it was a shitty, shitty slasher movie. 1990, this is the death of slashers. Yeah. Right? This is when they were dying. Yeah, right? people could look to this and be like, this is the genre you're supporting. Be like, no, no. I mean, we talked about that this time last year when yeah. we were covering the slashers. This was that whole time where it's like, well, slashers are done for. And I mean, this piece of shit was part of the problem. Yeah, movies like this did it. And honestly, I feel sorry for the... I, I do and I don't. Like, I feel sorry that she never directed a movie again after this, but it wasn't done really well. I say that, but if you cut out the two added scenes, it might fix a lot of the continuity to me. But Ken's pouty acting, still terrible. The uncle thing doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no amount of good directing could have fixed the shitty writing. Yeah, and it, it doesn't tie in other than he used a drill for two of the kills. Yeah, and I don't see... And the whole uncle thing confused me. I thought they were trying to say that the original drill, driller killer was his uncle. Like, even if they loosely tried to have done that, it would have made more sense than this uncle cop molestation thing. No, because it said a cop committed suicide right yeah. on the newspaper. And I'm, maybe he's guilty of molesting his, like guilty conscious from molesting his nephew or something. Like, I don't know. I hate to say this, but you know, like one sentence of exposition could have cleared all this up. Yes. <laughs> I don't need things spoon fed, but it has to make some <laughs> sort of sense. Uh, but I mean, we're here to talk about the trilogy. So we had to do the good and the bad. And I don't know the trilogy as a whole. I love the first one. It's a good, serious, early slasher movie. It has some vibes of the proto slashers more, yep. more than a slasher, but it's, it's a good one that I watch regularly. The second one's wacky as fucking a trauma way, but it at least told a cohesive story slightly tied down the original. And it's a fun ride the whole time. Mostly. And then we get this third one. And a lot of people, honestly, if you're going to dread it or anything like that, people ignore the fucking existence of this movie. People don't rewatch it. It's hard to find this one because even Shout Factory knew it wasn't worth reprinting it a bunch. <laughs> Sadly, though, I think Shout Factory has the first one on one Blu-ray and then two and three on a combo. And yeah. I love the second one. A lot of people do. It's just different, you know, but we got the crazy fucking rockabilly killer with the badass guitar and a fun, I mean, a mostly fun movie. Yeah. And... I don't know, at least made sense with the other one because like, oh, she was crazy the whole time. The third one, I always say sequels don't need to be made. The third movie really didn't need to be made in this trilogy. And honestly, it, it probably was not Slumber Party Massacre 3 when they made it. Yeah, and I that last part is what I totally agree with. It really feels like somebody was like, oh man, we got a turd on our hands. Well, he killed some people with a drill, slap this on it. And I have no idea, I'm spitballing there. But yeah, the I agree. The first one uh, is okay for what it was at that time. There's nothing groundbreaking or monumental about her or anything. Right. Um, the second one's fun. I think they could have went way farther with it, but it was still fun. The third one is just why. And it not is, enjoyable to watch. No. There's, mm -mm, there's nothing redeeming about it, in my opinion, that would make me go back and watch it again. It's cool that it's at least, I'll call it the trilogy. It, it's cool that it's a trilogy that's like all female at the helm. Yes. Um, written and directed. Without it being, and I'm, walking on eggshells here a little bit, but without it coming from 
a bashing you over the head angle with it. Right, you know right. what I mean? It was it was in the vein of of the movies. Like we're, we're chicks, we can do this too. And it's it's unfortunate that Roger Corman, you know, got so heavy handed that he did on these. And that's the weirdest part about it, is that they're all helmed by females, and of all people to be the producer, it's Roger Corman. That's just so weird. And if if you look the the director from the original one, she said. Roger didn't care if you're a man or woman. He just wanted you to get the job done. And put boobs in it. She's the most honest and direct out of just about everybody yeah. in that in that documentary series, which you can see on YouTube. And, I mean, she just says, like, there's certain Roger things that you have to expect, and we all knew going in. Like, she was talking True. about the actresses. And like, you know, you're going to have to show your boobs. She knew she was going to have to put gratuitous nudity scenes. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just, it was the way it was. And I mean, you could take all that out of these movies and they'd still be just as good, if not better. True. Well, that's it for the Slumber Party Massacre trilogy. You're going to have to tune in on the next episode where we cover director Jordan Peele. So if y'all want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Because I'm afraid that he's going to start slipping into other stuff and not be doing horror anymore. So we need to cover it while we can. As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online. And please, please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbispodcast at gmail.com. We would love it if you would follow our Twitter and Instagram, at sbispodcast. This might motivate us to use them more. See you guys in the next one. Thanks for listening. You're pretty. All of you are very pretty. I love you. It takes a lot of love for a person to do this.